0: Assalamu wa rahmatullah, this is Abdurrahman and you're listening to the HeartWork series on the Qalam podcast. HeartWork is a weekly session at the Roots Community Space in Dallas, Texas, where young professionals come together and discuss ideas and concepts on how to grow in their religious practice and their relationship with Allah. This particular series is called The Messenger, where the focus of the discussions will be on lessons from the life of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu If you enjoy and appreciate these sessions and these series, then please consider becoming a sustainer of the Roots community space by going to rootsdfw.org slash sustain. We really appreciate your contribution. We appreciate your prayers, and we appreciate you listening to the programming that we put out. Jazakumullah khairan, wasalaamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. assalamu alaykum. Bismillah alhamdulillah, wasalaamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. inshallah I hope everyone's doing well couple housekeeping announcements, inshallah. First and foremost, is that obviously, obviously we have like a slightly limited space constraint issue. And so I would ask that inshallah, if y'all are seated comfortably, that's good. That's the goal, to be seated comfortably. But I would also ask that uh, if you're next to somebody who's not your relative and the opposite gender, that you would just kind of make sure that you're Compressed, inshallah, not to make anyone feel uncomfortable. Uh, and if you feel uncomfortable, if you want to be in, a, in an area that's only women or only men, if you're a woman and only want to be in an area that's women, uh, then we got some area over here and brothers over there, inshallah. okay? But if you came with family and friends, feel free to find a spot. The second thing is that, you all see the screen? The screen is asking for something that's super important, and that is your experiences here in the community. Uh, we want to be able to become better we want to be able to do the things that we're doing we want to be able to do them well and even better and we want to be able to take any sort of area of, of weakness or any area of deficiency and uh, grow or um, you know maybe cut cut it loose and do something different inshallah so your feedback is essential inshallah as y'all may or may not know Roots started out um, at its in its origin as a young professionals community obviously we've grown now and we have Programming for a ton of different demographics, but at its core, uh, really the most vulnerable community, as as far as you know, community or programming was concerned, in our eyes, was the unprofessional community because, you know, you got like some Sunday school, youth group, MSA, and then when you graduate, you're kind of sort of in no man's land or no woman's land for a while in the community until you get married and have kids, and then get a little bit older, and then you're reinitiated back into the masjid, right? But we wanted to be able to create a space that kind of dealt with or addressed the needs of um, our demographic, right? So the 20s to early 20s to like early 40s-ish, inshallah, and beyond, inshallah, to try to, try to recreate the, the, the community of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or keep it going. So if you can go to that link, rootsdfw.org survey, it won't take longer than three, four minutes. Uh, and your information or the data you give us is super important, inshallah, especially if you want to see things uh, get better grow or change, like, this is your chance to let us know. We're looking at it very seriously. We're having our strategic planning meeting in January, inshallah, as soon as I get back from Umrah, and uh, we're going to take everything to account, inshallah. So, cool. Alhamdulillah. Uh, also, if you're not a sustainer, we'd really appreciate you becoming a sustainer uh, to keep the work that we're doing going at rootsdfw.org slash sustain. Any amount, inshallah, uh, you can give, you know, five, ten thousand a month. <laughs> are you laughing? So, anyways, alrighty. So bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa rasulullah Allahumma salli Muhammad. Okay, so we are at a um, really inshallah really pivotal interesting time in the life of the Prophet um, I say that every week. <laughs> I think just every week like whenever I'm reviewing or looking over my notes I'm like man this is going to be so profound just because every phase every area of his life wasallam, was so just chock full of meaning and moments. Um, we just finished which what, what was known as the miraculous journey at Isra al-Ma'raj, the journey that the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi undertook when he went from Mecca to Jerusalem to Masjid al-Aqsa in one night when God brought him from Masjid haram to the Masjid al-Aqsa in one night. He met all of the prophets, right? And just to give everyone an idea of what that like, that compound can look like when it's full. This is a jamaah prayer at Masjid al-Aqsa. Uh, it can be packed. I mean, it's massive. If you've ever been, it's, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Um, And so imagine like he's leading all of the prophets that have ever existed, ever been sent. He's leading them in prayer. So in a moment of his life, when he's unsure of his, you know, whether or not he's fit to do the job that God gave him, obviously he knows that if God chose him that he's got to do it. But sometimes you doubt, right? Sometimes you doubt even your own ability to walk through your destiny, right? You know that it's your destiny, but you kind of doubt yourself. Sometimes God gives him this ultimate gift of visiting His companions, the prophets that went through it, just like he did, they affirm him, they validate him, they choose him to lead the prayer, right, they nominate him to have that moment, subhanAllah. Uh, Then he ascends through the heavens, he goes, meets uh, specific prophets on his way, and then eventually he meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in whatever way that may have happened, and Allah gives him the gift of prayer. Allah gives him the gift of prayer. In a moment when he was asking for help, in a moment when he was seeking God's assistance, to get through the, the harassment, the, you know, the physical abuse, the mockery, everything that his community was going through, and God gives him prayer. It's interesting, right? And then we talked about when he returns back to earth, and he goes back to his people, You know, he's sort of met by Abu Lahab, he's met by or Abu Jahl, one of the staunchest enemies of the Prophet, ﷺ, and it's almost like things just picked up right where they left off. Like when he left Mecca, he was being harassed. When he got back, immediately was being harassed again so sometimes you know we wonder like well i prayed why didn't all my difficulties stop like i prayed to god and i looked and my bills are still there or i prayed to god i looked and my boss is still a jerk or you know and subhanallah like that's a, that's a it's a um, it's a common but it's a misnomer of what prayer does prayer is not necessarily to remove something from you as it much as it is to prepare you for that thing to give you the ability to, to do it to conquer it right You know, if I pray for something, it's not that I'm praying for that thing to be eliminated. I'm just praying for my my ability to the capacity to handle it. So it's interesting before he goes and visits God and receives the five prayers, you know, he's he's you can tell he's in he's just in he's in a bad mood, right? The Prophet was was hurting, he was crying, he was in pain. The way that people treated him, his heart was 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 breaking. And then he goes and meets Allah, receives a salah, comes back, and Abu Jahl is like mocking him and he's kinda like, Yeah, I don't really care, you know. He's so just confident in who he is. because why? Because he re- he's reminded by God of his purpose. And my purpose isn't to please humanity. My purpose isn't to please any human beings. It's cool. It's cool if we can get along. I, we hope to get along. Be good to your neighbor, as the prophet said, Don't sleep while your neighbor, don't sleep full while your neighbor goes to bed. Hungry, right? If you're making soup, the prophet Sauldam said, ماءها, increase its water, means what? Stretch it out a little bit, right? Why? Because you got to give some to your neighbor. So we believe that we should be in harmony with people around us, but you're not my ultimate purpose. You're not my ultimate purpose. My ultimate purpose will guide me to be good to you, but my ultimate purpose is still better, is, is, is greater than you, is greater than you, right? And that's what keeps us sincere in those moments. So the prophet Sulsam, he comes back and he goes through this moment where he, you know, um, the miraculous uh, trip, he witnesses things along the way. When he's being challenged by these people in Quraysh, they're asking him to describe al-Aqsa, and they're asking him to describe the caravans that were on the way back at the time. He does it, he does it, and he he nails it, and they even tell each other, like, he's right. Right, they're affirming him again. And then everything kind of goes back to the way it was. So for the next few weeks, the weeks turn into months, right? The next few four months, the Prophet ﷺ is in a community that is very hostile towards him. And it's even more hostile now because... He is confident and he also has people, the, the, the news of this journey is spreading and the news of his miraculous ability to identify the Masjid Aqsa is spreading and people are like, did you hear? You know, he did it. Like it, he actually went and that word is spreading. So Quraysh is becoming very concerned. Quraysh is becoming extremely concerned. Now what happens every year in the month of Dhul Hijjah is the Hajj. This picture you see is actually Mina. I know it looks like a bunch of like Legos. Right. Which, by the way, is like the worst weapon of torture ever. Just leave Legos in people's carpet. Right. No one in here my parents are laughing. Um, Musa leaves out his toys and I scream. Uh, it looks just like tiny little thing, but this is actually a bird's eye view of hundreds and thousands of tents. So Mina is a city of tents where every pilgrim, every person who makes the pilgrimage, the Hajj, where you spend at least at least three nights. Right. You spend at least three nights. And when you go there, subhanAllah, it's like, it's amazing. It's like a city that comes to life. And if you go there right now, if you went there like today, it would be completely empty. Absolutely barren. No one's there. Every year, what they do for this moment, these 10 days of Hajj, these, these 10 days of the Hijjah, the first 10 days where people are doing the rites of Hajj, is they build everything up. There's drywall, there's bathrooms, there's air conditioners, all this stuff. They try to really make it livable. And then every year they have to take it back down because if it's not being used for a year. But this place has been marked by the Prophet Wasallam, and by God ultimately as the place, the Valley of Minna. And this is where the Prophet Wasallam during the Hajj, because little known fact, before Islam, before the, the message of the Qur'an reached the Prophet Wasallam, Hajj was still happening. Because Hajj is a rite and ritual of which prophet? Ibrahim, Abraham. very good. So it was still in a certain way it was happening, meaning that people would come right maybe they wouldn't be following exactly the same you know rites and rituals that we do now but they were still visiting the house of god they, tawaf was still an act of worship so there was some slight similarities right that carried on from the heritage of ibrahim a. so they would come and they would visit now the prophet وسلم, he would you know he comes back from meeting with this this meeting with allah وسلم, with the prayer and his community is there and they believe him the small group of people that are believing the prophet sallallahu Alaihi wasallam Right, less than eighty or so people that are in his vicinity, and he continues his his work. What's his work? His work is to go and teach people about their ultimate purpose. Why are you here? What's the reason why you exist? Is it just to, you know, to work and eat and sleep and repeat every day? Is that is that why we exist? Right. I was having a conversation with somebody uh, that I worked with a long time ago, and he was saying, like, you know, do you really believe in an afterlife? Like, you really believe that after you're dead that you're gonna somehow be brought back to life. Like, isn't that kind of crazy? And that's what the Quran says, actually. It says that right? That are you gonna be brought back to life? Allah says that the people who ask you that question, they say, this is such a strange belief. Why would you think that? And then Allah says, well, I made you the first time, I can make you again, right? It's, it was easier actually to make you uh, again than it would be the first time that I made I made you from nothing in the beginning. And now I'm just bringing you back to life the way you were, right? So Allah's like out-logicking us like, you know? But SubhanAllah I was having a conversation with somebody and he was like, do you really think there's so, a life after death? I said, yeah. I said, my belief. And he said, I don't believe that. And I said, I'm not you. You're not me. That's fine. You know, like, what's the deal? And he just said, you know, like, I just don't get how you can believe that. He was like really challenging. He was a coworker of mine. Uh, and I said, honestly, can I, can I be real with you? He's like, yeah. I said, if I didn't have the afterlife, like, I don't know, like, what hope I would have. Like, all the injustices that I see in the world that aren't being resolved. All of the crimes that are committed where people are, the guilty party is not ever found or not ever served justice. All of the good things that we do that people don't recognize and that you're not rewarded for in this life. Like, if I didn't have the afterlife, like, I don't know how I would deal, right? That's the only thing that gives me solace. That says, you know what? Not here. It's not my ultimate journey. This is a hotel room. It's not my home, right? So, that idea is what gives me. So, the Prophet, he, he just wanted people to understand that. That was it. He just said, look, you're living your life for this life but in reality there's something waiting and you have to live your life accordingly so that you achieve success in that life so he would walk and he would meet with people and who was behind him other than abu Lahab? who was his own family and so every time he would walk and you can see like those little you guys see like those arteries in the tents those are like hallways there's like you know you go through it's like a city those are like streets and roads and avenues he would go and he would meet with different camps so there'd be people from all over arabia and he would go and sit with them and say you know, greetings, how are y'all? Like, my name is Muhammad. I'm from the, you know, Banu Hashim, from the Qureshi tribe, from Mecca. I'm just, you know, like, get to know them. Then he would tell them, like, have you ever thought about these questions, you know? And again, the way that we understand that sort of proselytization is like, that's so weird. Because again, we're we're, we're in a very, we're in a society that's, that's, that's molded us into thinking that thinking about faith as a tangible thing is kind of strange, right? If, if you meet somebody and they're like, God bless you, you're like, oh God, right? Like, <laughs> You know, what kind of, but it's actually very powerful that that, that's what they've dedicated their life to. So he's just going around teaching people. And if they say no, he's like, all right, I'm out, right? So I'm like, take care. But Abu Lahab is behind him every time. And Abu Lahab is his uncle, right? His paternal uncle. And every time he starts talking to these people and they love his character, he's a beautiful person. Like they're listening to him and the argument is sound. And he's just kind of like teaching them. Abu Lahab's like, don't listen to him. He's just, sorry, you know, he's kind of, you know, and he's behind him. And he's trying to discredit him every time he talks to people, right? And this is very interesting for two reasons. Number one is that Abu Lahib is not only from his tribe, but he's from his family. So we learn something here that's very, very, it's kind of, a, it's going to be a reality check for all of us. It's one thing to be discredited by people. It's one thing to be insulted or mocked or whatever. It's one thing to be offended or insulted by others. It's a completely different thing to be hurt by your family. It is completely different. And now everyone right now is sitting and we're like, dang, we got like cured off. We're like, man, my brother did hurt me. My sister did hurt me. You know, my, and, and we start to again, put ourselves immediately into what what chair? The victim chair, right? When we talk about character and nefarious character, we talk about bad character. We start to put ourselves in the what? The victim chair. Think about when you've been a bad relative. Think about the times when you've hurt people that are blood. Right. And how that may have come across to them and how that may have hurt that relationship. We learn here, subhanAllah, that Abu Lahab, the reason why this is so evil is not because there weren't people saying this. There were, but it's because it was somebody who would tell people, he's my nephew. He's kind of off. Don't listen to him. And immediately when people saw him, what do they say? What do we say? If you saw somebody come to you, try to talk to you and immediately someone comes up behind them is like, don't listen. He's my relative. He's kind of weak. You'd be like, "Okay, thanks. Thanks for the heads up. And you'd walk away. So every time he would go and meet with people, these tribes would turn him away. Because of why? Because his uncle, Abu Lahab, was sabotaging him every time. Right? That pain. So if, if we ever feel that sort of negativity that we're spreading within our own family, remember, that's an Abu Lahab trait. That's not a Muhammadan trait. That's not a trait of the Prophet You didn't see Prophet fire back at Abu Lahab and be like, yeah, well, he's crazy too, right? Like, you know, he's a jerk. You know, he's a... The God cursed him in the Quran. what's up? They're like, whoa! This you guys got to resort. You guys got to resolve this. He didn't turn back and fire back. He just moved on. He just moved on. And Abu Lahab, by the way, because of these tactics, he's the only individual mentioned directly by name, like his name, in the Quran that God guaranteed that he's cursed to the Hellfire. watab. Right? That his he's perished. He's done. Interestingly, this surah came while he was alive. If he wanted to disprove the Quran, what could he have done? become Muslim, boom, right? Faith is not always logical. He could have become Muslim and he would be like, what now? Your Quran set him in hellfire, that's kind of awkward, right? (laughs) This is actually mentioned in the tafsir of of the surah. The tafsir, the scholars say, how interesting is it that this prescription for his destiny was written for him while he was alive? And in all of his effort to disprove his nephew, he didn't think that if I convert, if I accept his message, it will disprove his message right? It's one of those mini miracles in the Quran. Very interesting, okay? Um, so lesson number one, the closer you are to someone, the more you can hurt them. And so be very careful around those who are closest to you. Be very, very careful not to do it. That pain is unique, and that damage is deeper than other kinds of damage. The other lesson that we take from this, this Prophet sallallahu going through people and talking to people, I mean, this is, a lot, this is a large area, is that hard work is sometimes, actually, no, is all the time the only way to accomplish your goals. Hard work. The Prophet ﷺ was just sitting in the company of God Almighty, and now he's pounding pavement, as they say, right? He's walking literally door to door. You guys ever met a person who sells things door to door? Or their work is door? People are canvassing politically. They walk door to door. You know, you may not, you, you look at them and you're like, that's hard work. Like, how do you do it? I almost look at them, I'm like, there's no way I'd be able to sit there and go walk, you know, not even sit, stand there and walk from person's door to door and either sell them something or talk to them about politics or talk to them. about. It's just, I have such admiration for people who have that kind of stamina and that energy. The prophet just did it. It's hard work. If a person wants to accomplish something, they have to be willing to put in those steps, right? Even the prophet of God, God's chosen one, his most beloved, he still has to work, Right. He's he's the one that's most deserving of miracles. If he wanted a miracle, he opens his hands to God. God grants it to him. But he's still what putting in the work. So we sometimes make these demands of God that even the Prophet Seldom didn't make. Oh God, grant me this, grant me that. Like what am I doing? What am I doing to accomplish that? Am I not doing anything? Because God, in His ultimate wisdom, in the earth He created the goals, but He also created the means to the goals, asbab, right? And He teaches us this a lot, like with Moses right, with Moses, what did God ask Moses to do do with his staff in order to win over the court of of the Pharaoh? You guys remember the story of the Pharaoh? Huh? Throw it down, right? Throw it down. Why? Because he wanted to be able to show that Moses was indeed a prophet, Musa was a prophet, and he told Moses to throw it down, and Musa threw it down and became a snake. He didn't have to. God could have just made a snake appear in front of Moses as a testament to his prophethood, but he made him do something. When he struck the sea, right? There was action that was included. God didn't have to do that. The miracle could have happened without the action. Yes or no? Absolutely. Did the, We talked about this before. Did the prophet have to ride an animal from Mecca to Jerusalem? Would it have been more miraculous, in fact, for him just to wake up in Jerusalem? Absolutely. And then come back? Absolutely. The animal actually kind of takes away from the miraculousness a little bit. You know, if you're going to be like super critical, right? But there are ways in which God wants us to accomplish our goals instead of just expecting things to fall from the sky, okay? Not all of us know Jibreel, okay? So that was his meeting of the tribes. Now what happened was in this work, Allah Ta'ala rewarded the Prophet Wasallam's work and he allowed him to meet representatives of two tribes who lived in a city called Yathrib, the Aus and the Khazraj tribes, only 12 people. There was 12 people and they met with the Prophet Wasallam. Now, why did they meet with the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? There was actually some characteristics that were innate in them, that when they heard his message, their heart was like activated, okay? So it was almost like faith was sitting dormant in their heart, and they heard something and it was like activated. And some of us may have had that experience, whether you're a person who accepted Islam later in your life, or you decided to, you know, engage in Islam as a born Muslim later in your life. There might have been something you heard at some point that like just like, it was almost like a switch, like, wow, that's interesting. What was it? There's three traits that the scholars talk about with these people that gave them this access to this message that others didn't have. The first was that these people were really good in their character. They had beautiful character. And actually, this is the this is the masjid that, um, you know, uh, commemorates where it took place. It's called Masjid Aqaba, the Pledge of Aqaba it's in the Valley of Minna. So when you're there actually for Hajj inshallah say inshallah when you're there for Hajj everyone's like that's in 70 years no inshallah you should go now while you're young okay Um, in that area you can visit this masjid and that's actually where this pledge took place what was the pledge of Aqaba it was a group of people who when the prophet told them his message they accepted him and not only that but they said you know what we're going to bring you back to our city and you can build you can build your community there you'll have a safe place to call home because that's what the ultimate concern was in Mecca. So the first reason why they accepted was, the scholars say, because they had good character. Where does Iman, where does faith live inside of a person? It lives in a person's heart. Bad character, it calcifies and rusts the heart to the point where faith becomes unrecognizable. Faith becomes unrecognizable. You know, I, I, I meet people when I travel overseas, like to, you know, Mecca, Medina, and, you know, others say, and they'll talk about, it's, it's interesting, they say, like, yeah, I visited America once. And they're like, beautiful people, beautiful people. Sound like Donald Trump for some reason, right? Like, <laughs> beautiful people, the most beautiful. And, and they say one guy at a perfume store in Medina, I'll never forget this. You know what he said? He goes, he goes, every person I met in America who was not Muslim, he goes, they were Muslim except for the Islam, right? He's like, those are the ones. He goes, they were so beautiful. He goes, they were so kind. They held doors open. He goes, they were basically Muslim except for that belief part, right? Except for that belief in God and believe in the Bible. That their character was just so luminous. Like it was so like magnetic. Like they would, you know, and, and, and America does have beautiful character in terms of some of its heritage, right? Like the idea of holding the door open for somebody, helping people, paying it forward. These are things that we kind of take for granted, but then you kind of visit certain places in the world and you're like, oh, right? Now, some places are like way even above, right? Some this isn't to like, be ethnocentric and be like, America's the best, right? But to say that there are some things here that like, we kind of take for granted, but they're actually beautiful and they're, they're, they're prophetic character traits, actually, right? And so, subhanAllah, these people, they kind of had that. They were very soft-hearted. What does this mean? Faith and bad character cannot coexist in the same heart. Scholars have said this. They said, if somebody's a jerk, eventually they're going to lose their faith. If somebody's just arrogant, if they're rude, if they backbite, if they slander if they're judgmental. He said, eventually, scholars of Tuskegee have written this, a purification, they've said that a person can say they're Muslim, but then you know what? After a few months or years of just being miserable and toxic, eventually they're going to become so self-obsessed that faith is no longer going to be relevant to them anymore. And then they also said beautifully that a person who has beautiful character, it doesn't matter how far away from God they are born, but if they live within that beautiful character, eventually they will find their path to God. Because character and faith are like magnets that attract one another. And on top of that, SubhanAllah, the second reason why these people converted actually had nothing to do with religion. You know what it was? Because they had good character themselves, what were they able to recognize in the Prophet They were able to recognize his character. You see, because you can't see what you don't have. You can't recognize what you don't have. You might be able to see it, but you're like, what's that? Like, oh, they're nice. What is nice, right? He's a beautiful soul. He's a beautiful heart. Because they had a piece of that, they were like, this is a good man. This is a good person, right? And what's, what's very powerful and very scary about that is that as a Muslim, he's representing his faith and his character is what people are judging him by. They actually said to him, they said, you know what? We're really interested in your message, but you know what we're really more interested in? We have been warring internally. They had a civil war in their city between these tribes for years now, and they're like, we're just tired. They said, can you come and solve our problems? Can you come and, and remedy our cities so that we're peaceful again? They said, if you do, we'll follow you. What, what were they saying? If you can prove, if you can teach us how to be good people, then that's evidence that you are a prophet of God. Why? Have any of you ever met somebody who is externally, ostensibly religious, but is also a jerk? Have any of you ever been that person? Right. Yeah. There have been times where our religiousness becomes an intoxicant, like spirituality kind of gets you high on yourself and you're like judging people and making people or just in general. Right. There's a holier than thou attitude. You know how important it was for the Prophet Sultan not even to give a whiff of that in his life? Because why? Because people are looking. I will never forget, subhanAllah, there was a brother that I met one time and he was like very anti-religion. I don't know how I keep running to these people. He's very anti-religion, right? And and he's just, I don't know, there's something about me that people just want to like unload on me. They're like, hey, are you religious? I'm like, not really. They're like, okay, let me tell you about it. So they just start unloading like this and this and this. And you know what he said? He said he was, eventually we got to the point where like, he was like, you know, all religious people are hypocrites and they're like this and like this. And I'm like, okay, like it's kind of, you know, judgmental, ironically. But uh, I said, you know, maybe you just met someone. I said, give them some benefit of the doubt and excuses. People have bad days. We're human beings. Everyone struggles. Like, you know, you look at this person, you think that they're religious and they may have just gone through a tough time. Like, just give them a break, you know? He's like, no. I was like, okay. Uh, and then he said, I'll never forget. The first time that I came to this conclusion was when I was in the masjid as a teenager and I looked at the imam and I said, so I and he frowned at me. And instantly, you know what I said? I was like, dang, how many people have I turned away? That was my first thought. But even here at Roots, how many of y'all walk in and you're like, it's not like I'm like, well, son? It's, it's that humanity, right? Like we're all human beings. We have like things in our mind, you know, I'm thinking about my gotta get diapers on the way home and I gotta make sure I cook food for this and pack for this trip. But you know what? We all have a responsibility to something greater than us. If you represent something that's greater than you, your faith, you gotta try and push through and be a good person. You got to put a smile. That's why the Prophet, what did they say? We never saw him except that he was smiling. He was known for his smile because he didn't want to ever trip up and have somebody doubt the religion because of his character. So his character was key. So these people, they saw that and they saw how beautiful he was internally. But really, they saw that because he was beautiful externally. And they saw that character being represented. Don't ever forget, subhanAllah, the need to be good to people. And this is very difficult in our era where everything is about what? Me, what I feel, my truth. I'm going to unleash on this person. I'm going to lash out. I have to exact my revenge. I have to get mine, right? Especially the internet where you'll say things with your thumbs that you would never say with your tongue. You would type things that you would never, ever say to anybody, right? Or text messages where you would say things about people that you would never say to their face. This stuff is still recorded. The angels are still writing. They're still keeping marks of this stuff. Not because it's not, you know, it's not audible. The angels are like, well, we didn't hear it, right? Like, it's not how it works. It's still communication, right? It's still being recorded, just like the Patriots recording the Bengals sideline, right? It's, and every other team probably is still being recorded, okay? Even the angels are like, wow, that's impressive, okay? Why, in, in, in short, let me finish this point. In short religion has to be proven to people it has to be felt religion can't be theory you know god is good yet show me god is good don't tell me like at some point you can tell me all you want show me and there's a responsibility for all of us to see it in ourselves but when it comes to teaching and and preaching and being representatives i'm not talking about imams i'm talking about us like all of us like we live in the world we have to be good people like you buy groceries don't you You know, people see your name, Aisha, Muhammad, Farhan, Farouk, Sharouk, right? (laughs) Brothers. (laughs) They they see, they, they, look, people know, people know. I told you all the story about the plane, person saw my beard, she's like, that's not a hipster beard, is it? I was like, no. (laughs) Right? I think she was looking for the spacers and the jean shorts, I was like, "We're not going to find them. Right? She's like, what kind of beard is that? I was like, it's... It's a Muslim one, kind of. I didn't want to like throw people under the bus They're like, hey, you're right. Like, like, you know. So then I was like, yeah, it's a Muslim one starts talking like now from that moment when she finds out I'm Muslim, what? I have to be like, okay. Posture. It smell it smell good. You know, you got because why? Because you feel that the, the weight of representation. Why? Because is not cheap. It's not cheap. Imagine me and the prophet i some saying, like, I did it. Like I represented you. I tried. I failed sometimes, but I tried. Like, that's heavy, right? And so walking around in your life, bad days, reminding yourself that I have to put a smile on. I have to be kind. I have to give people the benefit of the doubt. I have to make excuses for people. Why? Because it's bigger than me. It's bigger than my nafs. There's deen in there. There's religion in there. There's faith in there, okay? And the third thing, subhanAllah, that scholars mentioned was that these people, even though they were pagan, even though they worshiped idols, their neighbors were Jews, and so they were around the ecosystem of religion. Even though they worshiped idols, they were around the ecosystem of what? Of revelation and monotheism. So they, they were around it. Meaning what? That you might not think that people are listening, but they're definitely listening. You might not think that you have an impact. Like your existence, whenever you take a break to pray, like you might not think that your coworkers are like keeping an eye on, like, oh, what are you doing? Like you're praying. And who knows? Conversion, that's not up to you. You know, none of us believe that we convert people, but educating, teaching, showing people the beauty of your devotion and your faith. Don't think that people around you are not watching for better or for worse, for better or for worse. I know it's a lot of pressure. I'm sorry. Everyone's like, geez, it's like holiday season. Let us off easy. It's like, no, we have to make sure we rep well, inshallah. So these people, they gave the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi the pledge and they took his pledge. And the pledge was to obviously accept him as a messenger and also to go back to their community, and to start to teach their community about the Prophet and his message in order to prepare them for when the move was going to happen, the pilgrimage, the hijrah. And so the Prophet, he's faced with an interesting situation. These people obviously are new to the religion themselves, which means that what? Are any of them in a position to teach? No, they're not. None of them are, because they they just accept it, right? So he's like, all right, go, teach. That's not how it was. He had to pick somebody. He had to actually identify and pick somebody who their job was to go with this group and be their mentor and their teacher. Right. Every every flock has to have their shepherd. Like all the sheep are going to be lost, astray, eaten by the wolf if there's no shepherd. So the Prophet, he's anointing and designating somebody from his companions to be their teacher. Who did he designate? Musab ibn Umair. Musab ibn Umair. We talked about his story, right? Musa abdu'l-Umer was the one who gave up everything, everything. I mean, he gave up his money, his status, everything. Why? Because he wanted to be with the Prophet so He wanted to be Muslim. And that meant going against his family, his tradition, his norm. Every, I mean, talk about, talk about a powerful conversion story. Someone who accepts Islam and loses it all as a result of that. But you know what? He gained more than he lost. Because he gained Allah and His Messenger. So he loses everything. And from that point onward, he used to be a multimillionaire. And now he's like just barely hovering around poverty line. That's his life. But he's tasting this faith that's so sweet he doesn't feel it. So the Prophet Sallallahu sends him and says, You know what? You're their teacher. Why did the Prophet Sallallahu send him? <coughs> Could there have been other choices? Who were other people? Who were other possibilities at this point, everybody? Abu Bakr, okay, his best friend. Good choice. Great choice. Okay, I feel like we're doing like a draft, right? <laughs> First round pick. Like definitely, Abu Bakr, definitely. Great choice, okay? Talk about the character, talk about, you know, the, the belief, talk about that, you know, the knowledge. Of course, no question. Who else? Omar, very good. Omar bin Khattab, another good choice. Who else? What? Okay, Zaydin Haritha has adopted some. you have very seen a lot. You have, who else? Ali, you have Khadija. You have all these people that can go that the Prophet so could have designated as the teacher of this, but he chose Musa ibn Umar. Why did he teach Musa ibn Umar? Why did he choose him? What do you mean? Okay, so maybe because they had just accepted Islam, he's like, hey, me too, right? I did too, let me show you, right? So there's a relevance there, very good. What else? Yeah. Mm, good, beautiful point. Mashallah, that was awesome. He he represents wealth. His he's famous, like he's known in the peninsula for being a wealthy guy, and he's gonna go there and be like, "I gave it all up," you know, "I gave it all up for this," right? That representation of sacrifice, that sacrifice is what proves somebody's dedication to something. It's easy to say that you love something and not actually sacrifice for it. Yes or no? Yeah. Absolutely, like it's easy to be like, yeah, I love this, but then when it comes down to it, when the rubber meets the road, like you're nowhere to be found, or I'm nowhere to be found, and that's what makes in every facet of life, that's what makes your relationships really strong is when you sacrifice for somebody, because you're showing them I love you more than I love that thing, I love you more than I love the thing that I gave up, right? Like you get married, or you like having kids is the is the trippiest trip of this dude, having kids. You're like, I'm giving up everything for you. You won't even remember it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sitting there with my daughter. She's nine months old. You know, I woke up this She woke up this morning, pre-Fedger. She's super religious. She woke up this morning, <laughs> PM. And I told my wife, my wife, we were laughing today. I was like, man, you know what I knew was going to be a rough day? She's like, what? i like, the Monday. You know, I have early meetings today. I got a flight tomorrow. Like, we're, it's cold. You know what I knew was gonna be rough? She's like, What? Well, I was like, I woke up at five and I smelled baby poop. <laughs> and I just hear Iman and she's like, huh? Right, just looks at me. And she and when when she sees you wake up, she freaks out, like in a good way. So when she sees your eyes open, she's like, ah, 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 like trying to get your attention. I'm like, I get it. All right. I'm awake, you know I'm awake, right? And then you can't close your eyes because then she's like, No, I saw you. And I was like, the first thing that the first thing, dude, you're wiping this creature's butt. <laughs> that's no think about it though I know we just got a little bit kind of like goofy. that's love though right like if I leave her in that there's like pain, discomfort, disease it's my job to get out of bed I just went to bed like a few hours earlier why oh because she couldn't sleep (laughs) you know and it's my job to get up and take care of you what am I giving up my comfort my rest my happiness the next day i wake up with a migraine nauseous because i'm so tired can't focus at work can't read properly can't teach properly why because i love you i have to sacrifice for you so most Umer gives it all up proves that sacrifice gives it up proves his loyalty and the prophet Alaihi Wasallam, he goes you're the one that's going to go not that the others didn't everyone did but he was like a really, really strong example of that. So I always ask this to people, because when he got sent, you know how old he was? 17. What would I have taught people at 17? <laughs> I'm like, Islam's kind of tough, man. <laughs> Not going to lie. You know, five prayers, oof, You know, he was so young. The young person that commits themselves to God. There's a special place under God's throne for that person. The young one that sees the straight path before their body reminds them that their life is going to end. You know, all these aches and pains are just your body sending you messages. Because when you're young, you're like, I can go off four hours of sleep. I can jump out the gym. I can play ball for six hours. I can do this, this, is. I've got to wear a coat. I'm never cold. Now it's like, you know, you just always look uncomfortable and angry, right? <laughs> <laughs> My knee hurts, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm full. Like, how are you hungry and full at the same time? You're like, I'm old, leave me alone, you know? It's just your body sending you messages that you know what, that life that you enjoyed, it's making its way through. Right, it's making its way through. So he's young, a person who's young, who commits to Allah, very rare. Very rare. I May mean, Allah make us amongst that, right? But ask yourself this question. We'll wrap up here. Ask yourself this question. What would you give up in that scenario? Would, would the Prophet have considered you to be somebody? And if the answer is yes, good, inshallah. If the answer is no, ask yourself why. What am I missing that could have been beneficial to a, a group of people that needed to learn about God? What am I missing from? And, if, and is there anything I can do to fix that? Is there anything I can start to do to learn more, to become better, to be a role model? Because you know what? There will come a time when everybody here is going to have to be a Musab ibn Umair to somebody. Maybe one, maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand, but you're going to be Musab ibn Umair to somebody. People are going to look to you. They're going to ask you questions, right? And you're going to be the one that's going to have to answer. So having that characteristic, super important. We ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us that. We ask Allah Wa Ta'ala to grant us all of the blessings of being those people who pledge to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Uh, even though we weren't there, we ask Allah to grant us the ability to pledge now to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that you know, we're going to try our best to be the best followers of him. We ask Allah to purify our hearts from all of the sicknesses and diseases that we have internally. We ask Allah to make us people who love faith, who appreciate the faith we've been given, and that our faith allows us to see uh, things that we otherwise otherwise would ignore. We ask Allah to forgive us of our sins and to increase us in our good deeds and our worship. And to make worship sweeter for us than dessert or fruit, and more nourishing to us than food or drink, we ask Allah to make these moments that we have, moments that he will remind us of in paradise. Mm-hmm. We ask Allah to make these moments meaningful and to last us till the next time that we can have them. I mean, you know, everybody, I love everybody here for the sake of Allah.